When James Younger was just three years old, he told his dad, Mommy says I'm a girl. When his mom enrolled James in kindergarten, she enrolled him as Luna. James has been attending school as a girl since kindergarten, despite telling his dad he is a boy, just like his twin brother Jude. When James was about seven, medical records indicated James had been ref referred to a gender therapist for medical chemical transition at seven years old. We are now going to speak with Jeff Younger, who is his dad, who has heroically fought, trying to gain full custody of both his twin boys, but at a minimum, gain partial medical decision-making uh, as Anne uh, Jorgulas, his ex-wife. Um, at the time, she had full medical decision-making authority for both boys, according to the court, and uh, could have started James on chemical castration, if you believe it. Well, in 2019, this case caught national attention with Ted Cruz, Texas Governor Greg Abbott, and even Donald Trump Jr. tweeting about the need for us to protect children like James from a life-altering decision like chemical transitioning. In October 2019, Judge Kim Cooks ruled that both Jeff and his ex-wife Anne could have joint medical decision-making and work toward joint conservatorship. Judge Cooks also put a complete gag order on Jeff, prohibiting him from discussing any aspect of the case and or his son's sexuality with others. Jeff is actually now set to have a trial hearing this Friday in Dallas, where he could possibly go to jail for violating his gag order. Anne's lawyers are also fighting to give Anne any money Jeff has raised for his cause and shut down the Save James Facebook page, which is run by supporters of James. Since October 2019, a lot has happened, and we're going to talk to Jeff about it, so stay tuned. Let's begin, as we always do, with the sign of the cross. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Jeff Younger, thank you for being with us. Um, and uh, thank you for uh, the heroic effort that you've taken uh, in terms of defense of your own son, but also uh, of all parents who uh, find themselves in these crazy situations. Um, if you could start off, Jeff, can you give well, us... thank you. Um... Go ahead, go I'm ahead, always please. a little ambivalent about that. I, I'm just a dad protecting his son, and I, I don't honestly think that warrants much praise. And I think it's what any father would do in my position who would love their children. Well, Jeff, can you, uh, can you give our viewers a quick update on what's been going on? Yeah, so um, in 2019, as you said, we had a trial. Um, and at that trial, the top experts in transgender medicine on both sides of this issue showed up in a family court in Dallas, Texas. And I had the uh, men who founded the transgender medical field, men from the original John Hopkins Clinic, uh, and had trained with uh, some of the original people. And uh, she had all of these new psychologists who are advocating this new gender ideology. And uh, one of the things that they testified to there was after a mere four years, they shut down the clinic at Johns Hopkins because their data showed that these treatments harm patients. They relearned that lesson in the early 90s 
and they're just relearning it again now on children. Um, in, in, uh, in my case, I trained up an expert named Dr. Levine. I paid a lot of money to bring him into court and train him how to, how to deliver testimony in court. He's the expert that went to the UK and got this practice banned in the UK, in the UK courts. Um, so we made some global progress, but unfortunately, um, the way the judge left the order with me is I, I had 50-50 parental rights, so I was able to stop the chemical castration of my son. I was supposed to get 50-50 possession time of my son after a counselor reviewed nine points with me. And these were just common sense things like unconditionally loving your children, recognizing the signs of bullying, things like that. Mm -hmm. um, the counselors have stretched this out now for a year and a half. Oh. Uh, they have affirmed my son as a girl. They have used female pronouns, uh, used his girl's fake girl's name, and have taught him that he's a girl. Um, they have uh, refused to see my son when he comes from my house because the significant thing here is James only presents as a girl when he's with his mother. With everybody else, he presents as a boy. So they refuse to see him when he comes from my home. And that's going to allow them to have biased testimony in the court and say, well, James never presented as a boy to me. And that's what they're trying to do. So they've been trying to set this up for a year and a half. So finally, when they, I found out they were affirming James as a girl, I revoked consent for the court-appointed counselors to see my sons. And then uh, Ms. Georgilis filed a, uh, a temporary orders suit to take away all of my parental rights and give her sole medical and psychological decision-making and if she wins that, she will have my son in the Genesis Clinic, and he'll be on puberty blockers and ke uh, chemical castration drugs within the month. Um, I'm also being uh, uh, threatened with jail time. They filed criminal contempt charges because I'm speaking to you right now. Um, you know, in a democracy, uh, we have to participate with and inform our fellow citizens of what the government is doing, and especially when we want to pass laws against. So I've been very active in the last six months trying to pass a law here in the state of Texas. We were not successful in getting Governor Abbott, uh, Speaker of the House Dade Phelan, and Dan Patrick, the Lieutenant Governor, to pass a law in this state protecting children from chemical castration and sex change surgeries. Uh, the Republicans here blocked it, blocked that law, and intentionally allowed children to be sexually mutilated in this state. But in order for me to pursue my right to uh, uh, change the laws, my democratic right to petition the government for redress of grievances, I have to be able to cooperate with my fellow citizens. And the, the, the judges have intentionally attempted to stop me from doing that by emplacing a hugely broad gag order, which prohibits me from speaking on all manner of political topics. And I'm not even allowed to tell you in that gag order whether my son's a boy or a girl. It's so unbelievable that it, it, it defies description. Um, you know, you, you've become a veritable expert on the, on the topic, going through this, living through this uh, kind of hell that you've been uh, faced with. Um, you're a living testimony to, to parents to uh, be extremely uh, guarded uh, with their children uh, in, in what they're exposed to and, and uh, what, you know, damage it can cause. A, a little bit for our listeners who might not know, the background on this process of chemical castration um, on children, mm -hmm. this is in, in parts irreversible, is it not? Oh, yeah. Um, 
The other side always says it's reversible. And then when you put them under sworn testimony, they admit it's not. <clears throat> what, what they do is, it, for example, in the medical records in my son, they intended at eight years of age to put him, put him on puberty blockers. Puberty, puberty blockers block the normal growth of the skeleton. That's one of the first major problems. In the Scandinavian countries where they, they've been doing this longer, they're getting 20-year-olds with a life-threatening osteoporosis because the skeletons didn't grow properly. But all you have to really do is use simple logic, right? That puberty is defined as a set of physical, psychological, and social changes that occur in a specific order at a specific time in a child's development. Once you've, once you've halted puberty, and then you start it up again 10 years later, by definition, you've altered the sequence of events and it's not recoverable. And so there's both, there's physical damage that's done, there's psychological damage that's, that's done, and they'll never socially adjust properly because of that. The other thing that they do is usually around, with boys around 10 to 11, uh, they'll, they'll, after puberty blockers, they'll continue the puberty blockers, but then introduce cross-sex hormones. Now, cross-sex hormones, when they introduce them, permanently sterilize the child. They also uh, induce permanent physiological changes. So uh, the, the manner in which, for example, a boy will grow under the presence of a lot of estrogen is going to radically change. And that can't be fixed later on in life. You either get that in your adolescence or you don't get it. So it's, it's life-threatening, irreversible changes and I think if we just look at the sterilization issue alone, we should simply say, look, if you can't drink, you can't smoke, you can't get a tattoo until you're 18 years old, you should not be able to sterilize children until they're 18 years old. Yeah. That should make sense to absolutely anyone on either side. But obviously there is a, a massive, uh, it's like a religion going on on the other side that allows yes. them to allow for this insanity to children, to harm children in this way. What's, what's been your experience? I mean, these are, are people who are doing this, not only uh, your former wife, but, but all sorts of people who are doing this. Somehow they've convinced themselves that this is good for, for children. What's the process there? Do you have any understanding of that? Yeah, I've, I've looked into this quite extensively. Um, so look, we have to first kind of look, I think, globally at this. So let's think about how long it took them to convince America to go with gay marriage. It took about 15 years. They spent all of the 90s and into the early 2000s. And it took them 15 years to get America on board with this. And even then, you know, gay marriage was brought up for a vote in 48 out of 50 states and was voted down in every single state it was brought up for. It was voted down twice in California by a plurality of gay people. Even gay people did not want gay marriage. Eventually, they had to use the courts to impose it on us. So it was not given to us in any democratic way whatsoever. So when people talk, talk to you about, well, we have to be better at arguments and win the debate, I'm sorry, that's not true. And we have to just accept that. Um, we won the debate on gay marriage and we got it anyway. We won the democratic debate completely, hands down, with no, with no failures, no defeats. So they're imposing these things on us. If we look at transgenderism, it only took them six years to do transgenderism. So this is, this is a rapidly increasing social power of the left. Um, and they're getting stronger at it. They're getting better at it. 
let me tell you a couple of ways that this stuff happens. One of the one of the early struggles in uh, what I call the identity uh, transgender identity movement, they captured uh, professional bodies. For example, the American Psychological Association, and they went to great lengths to reclassify it from gender identity disorder to gender dysphoria. And the difference is, a disorder means there's something wrong with your thinking. It's a cognitive disorder. A dysphoria means it's, it's a problem caused by a lack of acceptance in your wider culture. So this shift in diagnostic criteria blamed the culture, traditional culture, for causing these problems. Now, this is very strange because how can there be a scientific process by which you can blame a culture for causing psychological problems? It's very strange. It basically says that everything is, that is normal is abnormal. So there are a number of these logical contradictions, and they've taken great care to uh, propagandize these. Another mechanism they've used beyond the professional bodies is they the left have figured out a way to manufacture scientific facts. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a long process, but it basically goes like this. Um, they'll start an open source journal, and they'll invite like-minded academics to begin to publish in this journal. And what they typically do is pick a meta-narrative to attack, particularly one that involves uh, traditional practices. Let's say uh, you know it's the transgender, uh, the idea that uh, men are men and women are women, and the idea that gender is somehow connected with biology. So they'll get like-minded academics, and they'll write all kinds of uh, articles that will be, quote unquote, peer-reviewed by their friends in this open source journal. Um, and they'll develop a body of work and create a, um, a, a theory which critiques the meta-narrative about gender. Um, later, they'll apply to one of the journals like Springer or Elsevier as a normal, respected peer-reviewed journal because they have a large body of work that's been peer-reviewed by a collection of, of psychologists across the world. And now they're an actual real journal. And all of that research then takes on the imprimatur of actual science. And what will happen then is that they go into the world, they go to the professional bodies, and they, they insinuate these false ideas and these manufactured facts. But they also do something really terrifying. These experts will then go into courts and testify as experts. And what they're trying to do now is to go into family court and testify in case after case after case that uh, children who are not affirmed uh, as a gender different than their biological sex are being abused. And once that's been accepted in court enough times, it actually becomes law, becomes case law. And it becomes binding on courts after that. And they're fully aware of that. And they know that none, uh, this may surprise you, but none of the right-wing foundations will go into family court. They're very well aware of that. And so all of the left-wing money is going into family court these days. That's exactly how the gay marriage case got up to the Supreme Court out of family court. The right-wing foundations won't go there. So they're going into family court and they're, they're making law. They're literally making law there. So that's another way that they exert power. I think overall, if I give you a, a global eye view of it, it's that long ago the left figured out that democratic processes are not how power is exerted in our democracy anymore. That actually it's the agencies, the unaccountable agencies in the governments, and it's professional societies and non-governmental organizations that exert all the power in our society. Amazing. What, if you can tell us um, what needs to happen 
right now for um, basically sanity to reassert itself and uh, for families to be protected? This is a this is a big point. Um, you know the oh gosh. I mean, if you think about what Aristotle talked about, you know that logical demonstrations for some unknown reason seem to provoke skepticism in many people, whereas like the well chosen example seems to convince a lot of people. Hmm. Um, our opponents are experts of the well chosen example, uh, and they are. The, the absolute epitome of what Aristotle called the sophist. They are making the weaker argument the stronger, and they are presenting falsehood as truth. So first thing I think that, that we need to equip people with thinking tools to approach this subject. I mean, there are just some basic logical contradictions that are obvious to everyone. If gender is a social construction, then how can it be also innate and immutable? That doesn't make any sense. Um, if biological sex is irrelevant to gender, then why is it imperative to chemically castrate kids and remove their, their sexual organs, okay? Um, if science is the basis of transgender ideology, then why are scientists who espouse a gender critical view of transgenderism, why are they excluded from journals and government grants? Um, if clinical medical practice is the basis of this ideology, then why are normal medical safeguards to protect children from the experimental use of medications not being used on drugs like Lupron and these cross-sex hormones? They've never been applied to kids for these durations. We don't know what's gonna to happen to these kids. It's actually classed as an experimental use and the FDA has, has specifically chosen not to regulate it like they do every other experimental um, application of drugs to children. Why is that? If, if clinical experience is, the, is the basis of this, why aren't they following normal clinical protocols? Um, it seems like it inverts by, by our normal ideas about biology, right? So um, how can it be that gender, being an idea that you have about yourself, how can that be something that we can never ask someone to change? But their physical bodies and their chromosomes, we're gonna tell them you can change. You can morph your body into a woman and all these things, clearly not true. So we just need to, like, I, first thing I need to do is just equip people with these basic thinking tools. Like, this is clearly absurd. It's logically absurd just on its face. But we also need to uh, help people understand how it gets insinuated. So I have a friend in Canada whose uh, uh, daughter was transitioned secretly without telling him by a school counselor. Now, I've had the same experience in Capel, Texas. The school counselor has taught my son that he's a girl and secretly tried to transition him. When I took my son to school in boys' clothes, the teacher gave him a dress. So people need to know that the schools are actively pushing this. And if you have a tomboy, for example, a girl who's a tomboy, you have to be seriously, seriously worried about sending your child to public school. Um, if you have a boy who's interested in music or art, you have to be seriously scared these days. Because if you look at the diagnostic criteria in the DSM-5, it uses all of the stereotypes that the left has been telling us we're not allowed to use for male and female. So if you've got a boy who likes to have tea parties and play with dolls, he's, they're going to diagnose him with gender dysphoria. In case of my son, a one-hour appointment with a pediatrician diagnosed with gender dysphoria. A 30-minute appointment with a psychologist, 
diagnosed with gender dysphoria and referred for quote unquote, the medical side of treatment to the Genesis Clinic in Dallas, Texas. So a total of an hour and a half of professionals will get you on the road to chemical castration. It's literally that quick. If you look at the recent 60 Minutes interview, you had girls that uh, were on, were having total mastectomies four months after they met with a psychologist. So you have to, first of all, realize that all of the institutions that you trust are probably against you at this point, and you need to safeguard your children. And third, we need to, we need to make this a political issue. Um, this is an issue that we ought to all be able to agree on. We need to wait until children have developed a rational faculty before we allow parents or the child to permanently sterilize themselves or remove healthy body parts. Yeah. You'd think that would be uh, just normal common sense, but today it's not. Let, let's get into, if we could, if you're allowed to, or willing to, uh, talk about, about your son and about your children. How are they doing? Uh, I know many of our viewers are going to be praying for you, for your court case, uh, but also uh, for your son, for James, uh, and uh, for his brother as well. So uh, if you're able to, uh, tell us about your kids. Yeah, I mean, um, both of my boys are uh, very happy, well-adjusted boys with me. Um, James is a very talented boxer. That's hmm. um, his favorite sport. Um, he's, um, he's so good that his boxing coach wants to get him in front of an Olympic talent scout and wants to start his training now for the Olympics. Um, but they're, they're hesitant to do that because they don't know what his mom's going to do and whether it could take him out, you know, take him out of the, out of their training program. So that's held us back. James is also uh, an artist. And uh, he has uh, an interesting visual sensibility about him. Jude is um, very, very verbal. Um, he's uh, quite the opposite of his brother. He's, uh, whereas James is a stick and move boxer, Jude is like a football lineman and wrestler. Um, they have very different temperaments. You know, I always tell this story. Um, you know, when 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 I boys, when my boys were about, you know, just about two years old. Um, I, I just could not understand the modern cartoons and the, and the ones I could understand seemed malicious. So I went back and got cartoons from the 1960s. And so I got like the Johnny Quest cartoons that I loved when I was a kid and I got the DVDs. We were watching it one time. We were watching this one called The Invisible Monster. And this creature was chasing Bandit, the Johnny Quest dog. And uh, James was saying, look, the monster is going after Bandit. Bandit's running quick. He's dodging. And Jude was saying, Bandit's scared, and Johnny Quest is worried. So we had, I had one boy living the inner life of the characters and one boy living the outer life of the characters. And so that tells you a lot about them. Jude, um, Jude has uh, agape. He has agape love. He loves everybody. He loves animals. Uh, James is very outward-focused and, and outcome-focused. Um, this crisis in their life, though, has created all kinds of difficulties for them. Um, for example, with Jude, we had been out rabbit hunting, uh, and we came back in, we were completely dirty. So we all got in the shower and we were all washing off, joking with each other. And Jude just points down at James's groin and says, I mean, he's not a girl dad. And I said, I know he's not. Um, and she, he said, well, why, why does everybody say he's a girl? And I said, well, you know, all I can tell you is we read the Bible every night to the creation of man and woman, you know? These people are just wrong about this. Um, so he's struggling with 
when he should lie. He knows the commandments tell him he's not supposed to lie. But when he goes to his mother's house, he has to use female pronouns for his brother. Uh, and he knows he's lying. So he's struggling with when is he supposed to break the commandments? It's really tragic. And he, because of his personality, he, you know, he lives the inner life of people. He, he thinks of, of Christ as a person with an inner life that cares about him. And he, um, he wonders if, you know, how Jesus will think of him and um, if, if he will lose respect for him for lying when he's at his mother's home. It's just awful. It just tears. I'm just tearing up. It just tears me up. Um, James is is flat out scared of his mom, and uh, will not tell her the truth because he's scared. Um, and uh, but when he comes to my house after a couple of days, he loosens up. Um, we've also noticed some physical symptoms that are strange. Um, we're going to have him drug tested and other things, but. Um, uh, they are, they're really having the full court press thrown at them by Satan. Yeah. We will be praying for, for you, Jeff, and, and for your two sons, uh, pray that, uh, things go well for you. Um, you might be heading off into, uh, something where you might be arrested. You know that, um, you're doing this nonetheless. What's, yep. what's your motivation there in terms of, uh, you know, your, your love for your boys, uh, as well as, uh, what you're doing right now. So I have decided that I am not going to follow any illegal order mandate or law that, uh, especially if it endangers my sons, I have the right and duty. I don't believe in the enlightenment concept of rights that are divorced from duties. I prefer the, the scholastic and medieval idea of uh, rights that are concomitant with duties. So when I have when, we, when I talk about a right to free speech, I also have a duty to exercise my free speech in a democracy and to participate in government, to inform my citizens of what the government is doing to children, what the courts are doing to children, and to press the government to change these laws. And there's no way I am ever going to stop doing that. And there is no legitimate government that can stop me from doing that. The second thing is I have a right to free speech as a parent in order to exercise my parental rights prudently. I have to be able to exercise uh, uh, speech rights and rights of action over my sons. So it's not possible for me to set an example of a moral father and to to handle their moral education uh, without, uh, without me uh, following the moral law, which is higher than the statutory law or the order of any, any illegal order from a judge. Um, you know, I don't believe in leadership styles. I've never believed in that concept. There's exactly one leadership style, and that is lead by example. When my son wanted to box, I said I would box with him. When my, when my son Jude said he wanted to wrestle, we join jujitsu together, but we lead by example. That is the only way you can lead children. They will do what you do. They won't do what you say. So if I don't stand up and do the right thing now, my sons will learn to be cowards for me. And that is not going to happen. And so there is no possible way in which I can follow this gag order uh, and let other children across this country suffer. I'm going to use all of my powers to make the, these illegal not only illegal, but socially unacceptable, immorally reprehensible, 
and to cast us out of our culture altogether. And I'm not going to rest until that happens. Amen. Were that we had more fathers like yourself, Jeff. Uh, any parting words before we close off? Well, I just, I, I want to thank everyone who's prayed for my sons. Uh, I named them after the brothers of Jesus. And uh, their saints are Cosmos and Damianos, the unmercenary physicians from Syria, and the prophet Daniel. And if you would, uh, you know, ask those saints to intercede for my sons and to, and to pray for them and protect them, that would be the greatest thing that you could possibly do for me. If you want to keep up to date on happenings in the case, you can go to the Save James uh, Facebook page. I don't run it. It's run by a network of volunteers. Um, you just go into Facebook and search for Save James. And um, they follow this issue globally. Um, it's probably the best place on the Internet to keep up to date on all the resources and news on this issue. Awesome. Jeff, thank you so much for being with us on this episode of the John Henry Weston Show. Thank you. God bless you. And, and you. And God bless all of you. We'll see you next time. Hi, this is John Henry Weston, the co-founder and editor-in-chief of LifeSite News. I'm coming to you today because we want to be sure that we're communicating clearly with you, our loyal followers. Things are really heating up, as I'm sure you can see. Christians, conservative truth-tellers are being targeted, are being banned from social media platforms like Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram at an alarmingly fast rate. They are attempting to suppress any narrative that does not fit that of the mainstream media. We knew this day would come. We have been warning everyone who would listen and attempting to build up alternative platforms to continue to reach you. We have established ourselves on all sorts of platforms I'm going to explain in a minute, but the most important thing to do is come direct to lifesitenews.com because there we will always be. But we've also established ourselves on platforms like Parler and MeWe, and our videos can be found on Rumble as well. We would love to see each of you on those platforms too, as they are not censoring or suppressing the truth that we are sharing every single day. More than these alternative social media platforms, we highly encourage you to subscribe to our email newsletter. We have really built up a large list of loyal readers on our email marketing platform, and we have prepared several backup plans for, well, I want to say if, but it's really when, we are removed from our current platform as well. Additionally, I really encourage you, as I said before, to make it a regular habit to go directly to lifesitenews.com. Make it your homepage. While all of these different platforms are an excellent way to curate your news, going directly to our website means that you will never encounter any censorship or sudden loss of LifeSite News reporting. Here's the thing. We will never stop sharing the truth. We founded this organization with the mission to be the life, family, and culture source for men and women who seek to know the truth. We have established a track record of honest reports, and this will never stop, even with censorship happening around the globe. Again, I'm encouraging you to join us on Parler, MeWe, Rumble, and on our email list. You can find all the direct links in the description of this video. May God bless you and keep you, and we are so thankful that you've chosen to follow and support LifeSite News. I'm John Henry Weston, co-founder and editor-in-chief of LifeSite News.